fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Today's children are becoming increasingly depressed with the world around us as catastrophic global warming is already baked into the climate system and they face a future entirely unlike that of their parents. How can we maintain hope and make a difference in the face of overwhelming evidence of the climate crisis? Our guest today helps parents explain the climate crisis to their kids, overcome overwhelming fear, and find hope to galvanize positive action. Thank you so much, Harriet Sugarman, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Well, thank you for having me, Charlie. I'm really pleased to be with you. Well, Harriet's new book is How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turn Angst into Action. Harriet is Executive Director of Climate Mama, Professor of Global Climate Change Policy and World Sustainability, and Chair of the Climate Reality Project, New York City Metro Chapter. She is a nationally recognized influencer, connector, and trusted messenger for parents on solutions to our climate crisis. Harriet is also the recipient of the prestigious Climate Reality Reality Green Ring Award. Check it all out on the website climatemama.com. That's mama like you think it's spelled, M-A-M-A. Well, let's uh, talk a bit about where you grew up and, and your background. Were you always drawn to nature and issues around the climate as a kid? Thanks, Charlie. Actually, uh, yes. Uh, I grew up in Western Canada. So I grew up in Alberta, uh, in the prairies, in Edmonton, but my family would spend the summers at a lake that was about an hour from the city. And we would move out there as kids in the summertime with my mom, my dad went back into the city, but came back every night. And as you can imagine in Alberta, it's light in the summer till really late. Mm. And uh, you really enjoy the summers because they're short, although they're getting longer, um, for sure. But we used to just have a lot of freedom out there in the summer. And that really, um, I think, built my love of being in nature and being able to uh, be a child and really experience and see uh, tadpoles, fish, climb trees and do a lot of things. So that was my early introduction into spending time in nature and just being able to be a kid exploring. We'll talk about the Climate Mama Project and how it has evolved through the years. Is that connected to your background as well, or is it something you did uh, later in life as an adult? It is something that came along later in life. So yeah, thanks for asking, Charlie. I actually started Climate Mama in 2009, So in 2007, I did a training with the Climate Reality Project, which is an organization that was set up by Al Gore. And 2007 was really the beginning of the Climate Reality Project. His film, An Inconvenient Truth, came out in 2006. And then he was going to train people to go back into their local communities to give these presentations. So I went to Nashville. I was one of the first... um, people that were invited to one of these trainings. And at the time they were uh, very relatively small. They were in a ballroom and a hotel. There was about 100 or 150 people. I've stayed involved with climate reality and they're now upwards of uh, the one we did in LA actually. I was out in your area in uh, the fall of 2018 and we had over 2000 people in over those three days. Mm. Anyways, um, fast forward two years after that training, I was 
trying to figure out over those two years, I had two young kids as a mom. Um, I had left this big stage at the UN where I had worked (laughs) in a previous (laughs) life um, and wanted to reach out to parents to learn what I had learned, that here this was something happening to us, happening to our kids. And I searched online for resources for parents, specifically on the climate crisis and how to talk to your kids. And there wasn't uh, anything at that time. There are more now. So that's how I started Climate Mama. The coronavirus pandemic that we're dealing with, we all put stay-at-home orders in place all around the world, and this has given us a a brief glimpse into what's possible with concerted effort to alter climate change. It wasn't the intent, but it did happen. So talk about some of the changes that we've been witnessing, and, and if you think they're going to have any lasting impact either on the climate itself or just people's attitudes as they see those changes with their very own eyes. Yes, certainly Three months ago, this is not something we could have ever imagined that we would have taken these very, very hard and difficult steps to protect our communities, our elders, others uh, to be safe and as a result have really shut down a lot of our actions. And we have seen around the world uh, where I think out in California, where you are, where people are seeing mountains that they couldn't see through smog that we're seeing in our area where I live on the East Coast, a lessening of small particles, so uh, pollution. And scientists are telling us as well that we will see a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. So that's the climate pollution. That's different from, you know, that tailpipe emission, which isn't, you know, we, climate pollution comes from many sources. But they're telling us, those scientists, that it will probably be reduced only 5 to 8%. And actually, if we want to meet our commitments under the Paris Agreement, which was an international agreement to address the climate crisis, we'd have to do a similar uh, percentage of reduction of climate uh, pollution each year for the next 10 years. And and clearly, we wouldn't do it this way. We wouldn't choose to do it this way because this is really uh, difficult what we're experiencing. So it shows us it's hard to do. Climate pollution, uh, carbon dioxide emissions, methane, they stay in the atmosphere, carbon dioxide upwards of hundreds of years. So what we put up there isn't going away. Um, So we need to do a lot more together collectively on addressing the climate crisis. But I think, as you've said, what it's done is open people's eyes to see that we can do things. hard things, but there are things that we can do and that the earth can heal herself really quickly uh, if we give her a chance. So that I think is such a positive and something that hopefully we will take away from this experience, which is something very immediate. Climate change is immediate as well. We are living it. It's not something far off in the distance, but because it's unfolding over our lifetime, it seems longer. But in the planet's history, that's a blink of the eye. Harriet, what do you think the COVID-19 crisis provides as a kind of teaching moment for our kids about the power that we do or don't have as humans on this planet and the real power of Mother Nature to remind us all of our place in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, I think it's an excellent teaching moment. Charlie, actually, because there's a lot of similarities. You know, there's sort of three broad things that I would say that we as parents or even, you know, just as individuals can tell ourselves with COVID-19 and with climate change. Both are happening fast. We know we're causing it to happen faster. 
both COVID-19 and climate. And we know that there are things that we can do about it to slow it down. Both COVID-19, which we are doing by um, being in quarantine, by stopping the spread. And we know with climate change and the climate crisis that there are things that we can do in how we live our lives to reduce um, the speed of the climate crisis from unfolding. So I think those are all teachable moments uh, for our children. And to compare those things, because we're all living it through it, but both are global, right? This is happening not just to us in our communities, it's happening in every community around the world. The same with the climate crisis, which sometimes, especially for many of us in the US, we it's happening in plain sight, but we're not maybe experiencing it. But yet both crises are also impacting low-income communities, impacting communities maybe least responsible for uh, what's happening, but uh, are feeling it first and worst. So those justice issues also are teaching moments that we can uh, help our children understand. We'll talk about the realities of the climate emergency today. Where are we at? And how did we get to this point in general? Yes. So we are living a climate emergency, as you said. And how how do we know that? We know that because scientists across many, many different disciplines are doing peer-reviewed studies and data to show that our climate is changing. They can also look back historically, back over 800,000 years and tell us that the level of carbon dioxide, which is a main driver of climate change, never changed. It stayed within a band under 280 parts per million. And I, I know that people sort of glaze over a little bit when we talk <laughs> about numbers like that. But but really what we've done in our lifetime, in the lifetime of one person, actually since since just the early 1960s, is we have caused that level of carbon pollution to rise dramatically. And scientists are seeing that and they're seeing the impacts of that um, on sea level rise, on temperature change. You and I were talking before about these anomalies, which are becoming actually not anomalies, but regular. We're seeing temperature rise across the globe. We were the Goldilocks planet, the just right planet. And now our base temperature has increased. And scientists are telling us that the Earth has boundaries. Um, She's working overtime. Our oceans are working overtime to absorb much of that pollution, that greenhouse gas pollution. And the ocean is changing. It's getting more acidic. It's warming up. We're seeing coral die-offs. There are so many markers that are telling us that our climate is changing. And scientists can clearly show it's because of us. Certainly the climate has changed over the history of the globe. In the billions of years, the planet has been there. However, the speed and pace of change is something that science can tell us has not happened before. Well, as someone who has been very active in climate change for more than a decade, have you seen public attitudes shift over the years and kids have stepped more to the forefront? Has that changed that as well? Yes, it has. I have se- I have seen, and I, I thank you for asking that particular question about the role of youth in raising attention. And that is actually one of the reasons why I felt it was the right time to write my book, because I was actually hearing from many of the parents I've been speaking to over the years that, 
oh my gosh, all of a sudden their kids are tuned in and their kids are, they're angry, they're activated, they want to be more active, they're concerned, they're scared. What, what's the response? What do we say? So while our climate uh, has been changing and climate change has been increasing, we, through studies, can see it's happening faster. Anecdotally, we can feel that it's happening faster. And I, our kids are, we have a generation of kids, those kids graduating from high school now, many of them learning in their classrooms about the climate crisis, seeing it and experiencing it. And over the last couple of years, the voices of young people around the world have been really rising um, from school strikes on Fridays to reaching out to their elected officials. And I think not that they were not raising their voices before or there weren't kids talking about these issues before, because absolutely they were. I know many of them who are um, who have been doing this for years. But I think we started listening and hearing and that is a big difference and um, for various reasons, uh, but we're hearing our kids and we wanna be able to respond to them. And it's not just us as parents, it's um, politicians, it's business leaders, youth voices are being invited to the table. They are being heard in ways that I think is very different than it was a few years ago. And it seems like we got to a place of turning point when we have a kid on the covers of magazines and newspapers telling the whole world, telling all the grown-ups, hey, you're getting this wrong, and is met with so much fear and so many attacks. I think we've reached a turning point, don't you? I really do, Charlie. I, and I think you're speaking about Greta Thunberg there, the Swedish youth that when she was 15 started sitting, which was just uh, actually is only, will only be two years ago uh, in August, started sitting in front of the Swedish parliament by herself with a sign that Friday should be for the future, that we need to solve the climate crisis. And she's really just the honesty and directness and the way that it was picked up by her country, other countries, and she's been a, a leader and a mentor for youth all around our country and other countries around the world. And yes, she is being heard as are many other youth. And the fact that she becomes the target of negative uh, vitriol, just such anger clearly has scared a lot of people because really she's just as youth have a way of doing from our youngest children to our teenagers and more of being very direct and she's very direct our house is on fire our planet is burning we're seeing that all around the world you you live in a state where you know sadly that is a, a fact of life um, and something that we are all well, well aware of. And there are things we can do about it. And she's demanding that we take action. And she has led other young people, again, to raise their voices or for us to listen and hear them in ways I think we weren't before. Well, Harriet, give us an example of a practical action a family can take to tackle the climate change crisis that you write about in your new book. Sure. Uh, again, our actions and the way that we speak to our children as well as things that we do with them will certainly vary by age like anything else. But mm -hmm. I think one uh, example that I use in the book that 
can work if you have kids of multiple different ages or for young kids and for older kids is really to have a climate change action plan, a family uh, climate plan. So whether you have weekly family meetings or that's something you want to institute or just sit down and ask the kids their opinions, it gives you an opportunity to talk about the climate emergency, hear what your kids know and they don't know, gauge where they're at. And then practically, you know, from very simple things like maybe being more conscious of energy use in in your home, turning lights out, things like that, to actively going to when we can go again, but to to um, protest, going to visit your local elected official, writing a letter to a local official, being part of a community program that's working on water conservation or whatever it is to actually write a list and put timeline on these things and revisit it on a regular basis. So I think that is uh, something, a climate action plan that with different age kids can really be empowering for them to help you guide it and for you to have the opportunity to bring up this discussion in a, in a, a way that isn't about fear, but it's about hope and about positive action. And certainly, as many, many families all over the United States and all over the world are teaching their children at home today, thanks to the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that we're all dealing with, this is the reality that you need to uh, embrace, not only the pandemic itself, but the climate crisis and the teaching that you need to provide to your children. Yes, absolutely. And there are wonderful online resources from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Organization, from different organizations that have pulled things together. I work with an organization called Young Voices for the Planet that has short videos of kids doing positive civic actions that are to uh, based on sustainability and addressing the climate crisis. And many of those come with lesson plans. We have a, a resource guide in the back of my book that lists sort of top tens in some of those areas. And so there are a lot of wonderful resources for parents even being stuck at home, right? Our parental responsibilities, oh my goodness, right? From trying to go to work from our home, teach our kids, make sure they do their schoolwork, all of those things have added immensely to it. So not only for these resources for us when we're home with our kids, but I think it's really critical that we look at what is our school? What 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 are what is the climate curriculum that's happening in our schools? And so that's another way we can show our our children that we care about the climate crisis and we care about what they're learning because oftentimes teachers aren't trained. There are good resources out there, but it's ultimately up to that local school board, um, the curriculum or what they're meeting in terms of uh, standards. And I believe that climate should not only be taught as part of a science curriculum, but as part of social studies, as part of an art project, as part of a play that's put on by students. So it needs to be cross-sectoral because it is a cross-sectoral intersectional issue. It's not just out there by itself. So I thank you for bringing up the subject of education, both informal and formal education on climate. Both of those things are critical. 
Harriet Sugarman is our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The new book is How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turn Angst into Action. Check out the website, climatemama.com. Thank you so much for being here today, Harriet. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Charlie. Thank you. Let me know what you think of Conversations. Write me an email to charlie.dyer at iHubRadio.com. I'm Charlie Dyer. Thank you for listening.